0: laid bare, the podcast. Today, my guest is Tate Simpson, who is an investor relation guy. So Tate, thank you for being here and tell us what is this investor relation function about. And also, I'm particularly puzzled because when I started in particular it was in the early 2000s and there was no people with such a job title. And then nowadays I meet one every 10 people at a conference. So it looks like, you know, there is some demand for it. So tell us more about what it is about and a bit the, the history of its function.
1: Yeah, sure. It's, it's, um, it's a pleasure to be with you. I'm sorry I can't do this in uh, in person. I was like making it up to Oxford and up to the private equity forum. And, and um, when this is all over, you know, I, I have no doubt we'll um, we'll do it again. Um, Sure, I, I started working um, in investor relations in, in 2009. Uh, I would graduated from uh, this, the business school uh, at Oxford uh, in, in 2007 eight. And you know as you've well documented, you know, the, the private equity industry has grown tremendously over the last, let's call it 12 years. Um, it's grown tremendously, uh, you know, since the since the global financial crisis in, in 2008, which was a, uh, you know, a challenging and transformative period for the, the financial industry. And um, I think what happened coming out of that crisis is, you know, investors were asking a lot more questions, and the leadership of the private equity firms that existed. At that point, were not equipped to answer those questions. They hadn't been asked the questions in the past. They uh, were inundated with questions. Uh, some of the portfolio companies that they had were in uh, very difficult uh, positions at the time, and so you were having to provide a lot more information about topics that, you know, were challenging. Um, and one of the the success stories of private equity is that. Um, You know, the vast majority of private equity-owned companies uh, came through that financial crisis, avoided uh, bankruptcy, not all of them, but the vast majority, far more than people thought at the time. And then the industry went uh, on on a real tear uh, and and proceeded to move into other areas of private markets, uh, whether that's, you know, huge expansion in the amount of growth equity capital, huge expansion in the amount of, of private lending and private debt. And then, you know, the continued growth of private equity in all of its uh, shapes and forms. And so does I think, it mean,
0: sorry, does it mean that you're kind of like a helpline help worker? So there was no need for helpline workers like before the crisis and then the crisis here. Yeah, there was a lot of people call you up. There and was then, a lot but of, this is kind of like the worst job to have, right? Because you receive only complaints from people. You're like, it's... Yeah. It, it,
1: I agree with that. I and mean, that, that, first of all, that that period only—I la- mean, it, it lasted for, let's call it, a year in the United States and, and longer than that. But I think what happened when you say helpline, you know, I think all of the organizations they staffed up, they hired at at all levels, you know, the analyst level, the associate level, going up to the senior level. They brought in their finance departments, they brought in their communication departments, they grew those departments so that. The quality of information that you get from a private equity firm today is way better than it was uh, 10 years ago and better than it was five years ago. And it's 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 not even comparable to 15 years ago. And so the level of, of transparency and information and the timeliness of the information and the reporting, you know, has really, really grown um, over that period. And that was, I think, where investor relations started. It then very quickly pivoted, though, to we're going to need to raise successor funds, right? That private equity firms, growth equity firms, venture capital firms, um, they don't work unless you can raise a successor fund. And so first, you know, there was the let's call it investor relations. And then there was the uh, business development or fundraising
0: but and that, existed that before already. Right.
1: Well, it, it existed before, but oftentimes it was, you know, the chief financial officer or someone with a legal background who was fielding calls from mostly limited partners that uh, were from the home country. So, if you're an American-based private equity firm, you had some American pension plans. If you were a European one, and there weren't that many, you know, you had some family offices and European pension plans that you were dealing with. But all of a sudden, you know, the industry went global. Right. People wanted to raise capital or were fielding inbound inquiries from Asia, from the Middle East, from new parts of of Europe. And you needed people to to deal with that. Um, And then the task of raising a new fund was was challenging and time consuming. And that was new also to many of these firms.
0: Okay, And so and so then it means you have two aspects of your business. You have this helpline one, like handling questions of the investors and then the one where you need to go and raise funds and these two things I suppose are quite complementary because it's kind of you know the difference between and giving information on the go when a fund is ongoing but it's the same sorts of information you need to give when you're fundraising anyway so
1: yeah I, I personally think they are quite complementary and, and firms deal with those in, in different ways um, but I think investors want to talk to people who are very knowledgeable about their investments and I think for limited partners, that have you know good and close relationships with private markets firms. Let's call them private equity firms, right? It's it's a hybrid discussion. It's a discussion about what's going on with my existing investments and what should we do about new uh, investments.
0: And so, does that mean that that you have to also know what's going on on the portfolio extremely well? So you need to go on the ground as well, or it it, it feels a bit detached in a, in a, in a sense from. The rest of a firm that is like investment managers, right? And it feels a bit like when you're the marketing department of like a biscuit factory, right? You're the only one not doing biscuits; you're you the one doing marketing. But at the same time, you need to answer questions about the biscuits. So, um, so how much do you, do you do to go and see companies and actually get keep yourself informed about all that?
1: It's first of all, I don't. I'm not sure I follow with the with the biscuits, but. Um, Listen, people want to talk to people who are informed and who are also, you know, passionate about why it is you should invest in this particular fund, because funds go off in all sorts of different directions, right? Whether that's energy, whether that's mid-market firms, whether that's growth equity, whether that's firms investing in emerging markets. And so they want to talk to people. And I think in order to be successful, you have to be, you know, up to speed and also passionate, because if you're not passionate, and you're not saying, listen, this is really interesting, what's going on in fill in the blank, real estate, debt, energy, emerging markets, then the person listening to you is probably going to say, you know, that doesn't sound like a place I should lock up my capital for 10 years. And I'll, I'll pass. Thank you very much. And I'll, I'll go into, you know, another area with another manager.
0: Okay. Does that mean you have a stake or so in the funds? Do you personally invest? Like, because for like senior partners in, in, in some firms, they are asked to put some of their own money into a fund to prove that you know they believe in the things. Uh, do we now see this also for people in investor relations? Uh,
1: well, I think two. One, one is you know, limited partners want to see alignment of interest. And I do actually think that by and large, one of the real strengths of the private equity industry is that alignment of interest. It, it is far greater than exists in the mutual fund industry and other industries um, managers are investing their own capital and and we can go into what exactly that means, but it's certainly capital coming from, you know, the firm and its employees of anywhere from two up to, you know, seven and a half. And I've seen higher than that. And, you know, most employees at at most firms who have agreed to be there for a long period of time, you know, have the ability uh, or are forced, depending on the, the nuances of their contract, to invest in the funds and the companies. And again, that, that provides, I think, a very good alignment of interest that actually doesn't exist in many other parts of the financial industry.
0: I'm trying to find out the do's and don'ts for the students who may look into a career in in, in this direction. So one you already said is like to, to, be, to be passionate and to believe in the product, which I guess a corollary of that is that if you do not believe in the firm anymore, you need to change firms. Um, and and so maybe you can comment on that one, and maybe the other do's and don'ts in this in this job.
1: Yeah, I think you have you absolutely have to like people. Um, that that's it's going to be a real problem if you're in the field. And there are many people in the financial industry who you know are are more introverted. Uh, they prefer to be left by themselves. They're very numerical. They like again kind of spending time and uh, by themselves with with numbers. That that isn't going to work. I don't think particularly well in the medium to long term uh, in in, in investor relations, although you know those people can be very knowledgeable and very successful in in other areas. Um I I think the number one don't that I see, and I I think it it pertains also to people who are just raising capital for a a startup, right? Or their own startup, their own company, is, is overconfidence, right? That somehow. My idea or my fund is so good that it's it's going to fly off the shelf, and you're lucky that I'm even speaking to you today. And I know that may sound laughable, but but I see that constantly, um, both personally and and professionally. I think you have to acknowledge that um, this is going to be a lot of work. That you need to take it very seriously. You need to be knowledgeable. You need to be passionate. Some people are going to decline, and um, when people ultimately do say yes, you, you know you have to. Say thank you, and then you go on this journey with them, where you're invested in a private company or a private fund, and that journey is going to be a long one. Um, you know, I'm invested with some classmates from uh, business school, with, with where you teach. You know, I made the investment in 2009. It's now 2021, and we're still talking about the investment, and I think we will be for you know a number more years. And and I would highlight that group is actually I think having done a, a fairly good job of investor relations. They're not raising a fund but they are raising money for a company
0: okay and um and so some people outsource these functions right you you like placement agents these sorts of people seem to be doing these sorts of things so how does it work like so where you draw the line and 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 which type of firms decide to outsource versus not and and a corollary to that is that when you outsource you may be able to invoice maybe portfolio companies about this cost if you keep it in house maybe you have to bear the cost how does that work then like you know there is there is a question of like who pays for this
1: yeah i'm not aware of any cases where portfolio companies paid um but yeah absolutely so if, if someone is is raising capital um for a, a a small fund or or even you know a mid-sized fund or even a large fund There exists um, an industry called the placement industry. Uh, It's been around for a long time, but again, it has boomed since uh, since the the last financial crisis. Most of the placement agents um, sit within boutique investment banks, uh, although some sit within um, larger uh, investment banks. Uh, So for example, UBS uh, has had a placement business for a long time. Credit Suisse has a um, a good one that's been around for a long time. Um, But then most or all now of the boutique investment banks offer this service. And I think it done well, offers a lot of value. There are hundreds and hundreds of limited partners out in the world, and it is a competitive industry. It's one that is challenging to get into. And so they provide the guidance uh, on how to do that um obviously for a uh, for a fee but it's a a fee that's i think definitely worth paying given the um given what happens if you're not successful right which is you end up spending a year two years attempting to raise money for uh, a company or or a fund and you don't get there um in retrospect you know you you might have wanted to pay you know a placement agent to ultimately get you to the goal that you had, and uh, I'm constantly impressed and surprised by the number of first-time funds that get raised in the industry with the help of placement agents.
0: It it sometimes it's it's it said that the the placement agents actually give a stamp of approval, so they do their own due diligence, and then they say, okay, this this firm is worth investing in. It, and it feels like it's it's a third party that says yes. They do have a bit of conflicts because they want also the money, but still. And but in your case, you, you you are working for that firm. You are never going to say that it is not a good thing. So it feels that there is one layer higher of, of scrutiny when it's a placement agent bringing up the fund, and if you do it internally, because of course you're going to give your story. Is that, is that fair? So
1: most of the major private equity firms, or all of them, you know, have have by and large entirely. Um, gone in-house with their their fundraising for for a whole variety of of reasons and i think it's been a fairly happy parting of the ways i think that the placement agents prefer to work on first or second time funds you know smaller smaller funds and and the larger groups have have insourced this function for um for a variety of reasons it is true that that uh you know some of the better placement agents if they agree to work with you it is a somewhat of a stamp of approval because they don't want to take on projects that are going to be a lot of work and not successful because they get paid mostly on a, on a success basis. So there's a, there's a, a bias there. They want to work with the best up and coming managers because they want the quickest path to you know, ultimately that group having success, which means they have financial success and then they can move on to the next project. And ideally, you know, that relationship can go on for a while, you know, placement agents can work with, um, work with managers, not just on one fund, but on, on successor funds and the, the, the exact nature of the relationship, you know, will, will change over time.
0: I think you, I'm going to give you two examples of, of recent MBA students. One said, um, you know, they come in when they're around 30, right? So they had sometimes a career in their twenties and they come to change careers. So here are two examples. One says, I was a model. When I was 20, I come to do an MBA. So now I-, I you know, A model, I, like a fashion model? A fashion model. Uh, I didn't and have then, that. Luxury. And then another guy comes in and say, you know, I was a professional rugby player and now I need to change career, right? And these two students, which is just last year students, they said, you know, and I want to go to private equity. Okay. I went through your course and then this is the industry to be. So I want to go to private equity as my next step. And I say, but you know, I'm not a finance person. I'm not, you know, I'm not an ex-consultant or anything like that. And so I'm thinking about trying to get into investor relations because I'm good at people, and I, you know, I'm 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 good. And then, you know, maybe from there I will be able to do what I really want to do, which is, you know, uh, managing companies and things like that, which is, you know, the investing job. Do you think this is a good reasoning is it can we see your your position as a way to go towards in managing investments uh or or is that a bad way of thinking about it
1: i i don't think that's a a realistic career path
0: um the one that you
1: just described um just just knowing how the the industry works what i would say is i've seen a number of people who who were doing the um investor relations function. You have to remember that there were very few people in investor relations pre-2007. So most people have a background that isn't cookie cutter because there was no cookie cutter. And so, you know, I know a number of people that have been successful in the industry that have backgrounds as lawyers, you know, for example. Um, And then as firms have grown, the number of people in non-investing roles has grown massively, right? And those parts of the business can be interesting as well. They also require management, and so I know a number of people that have sort of started out in investor relations and moved into management, you know, roles in private markets firms. But, um, you know, I think if, if what you really are passionate about is is working on the the, the new portfolio companies, the new investments, you know, you, you need to find a different a different path. One of the most impressive um, people, I think, actually to come out of the site business school uh, is a woman who uh, wanted to get into uh private equity. She came from a little bit more of an operations background. She got an operations role. I think it was kind of a part-time role with a, a private equity firm that was just starting out. They just, again, hired a placement agent to raise their first firm. She went in-house. Um, they liked her. They made an investment in, in a famous Canadian clothing company. <clears throat> um, that company fell on some hard times. She was working full-time for the portfolio company. They decided they wanted to make a management change. She is now, I think, the youngest female CEO of a of a record, of a name brand company in, in Canada. And um, you know, I think that's a very interesting career path that she's taken to a very interesting place.
0: But and then she started in operation type. She started of work, in, right? in operations
1: for yeah. a with a private record, which is another part of the private equity industry, which we <clears throat> could talk about, but is not the subject for today.
0: So, so that doesn't mean that for you personally, that you wouldn't consider moving towards an investment position. You you, you would see yourself as as staying on that side of a business or, or or are you tempted to to, to look into I, investing? I'm,
1: I'm quite happy with what I'm what I'm doing. It 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 checks a lot of boxes of, of both what I'm interested in and what I'm what I'm good at. And but I but I would say again the, the industry is evolving fast, right? And so the skill set that you need as an investment professional. Um, is changing right you look at all of the investments that are going on today in uh, in technology right and the ability to diligence those assets that's kind of a, it's a, it's a different skill set than i think the one that the vast majority of, of private equity managers had 10 years ago meaningfully different not not totally different but meaningfully different
0: because it's it's much more technical, you mean? So they, they would need things. are it's much, much more, more technical. You're technical. looking at different.
1: You're looking at different metrics. Uh, the companies are growing much faster. Um, it's not. You're not simply buying private market cash flows with many of these new technology companies.
0: Yeah, and so in fact, the the, the managers, the fund managers of the two thousands are maybe now, in fact, de facto, more like investor relations type of, of people because- no, no, no. They're, they're, still,
1: they're still leading the private equity firms, but they, and, and many of them are, st- are still investing in, in you know, more old economy cash flowing businesses. But there's been this massive, massive growth in investing in, in technology, um, which has been you know, highly profitable for the managers and for the limited partners. But you know, the, the, the way in which you analyze one of those investments is um uh is, is different
0: okay any any what kind of advice would you give to mba students or or knowledge that you find they are often missing or things that they you know they have some preconception about private equity and 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 that you know is not true like any anything that you'd like to tell students
1: i would think as it relates to the subject that we're discussing today kind of fundraising and investor relations i i think that Um, it's something you have to spend some time trying to understand and get your head around. Because whether you're in the field or not, it's something you're going to have to know a little bit about. If you, and I see this frequently, right? You're going to start your own company and you have to raise capital. I mean, one of the key aspects, factors of whether your venture is going to be successful is your ability to fundraise. If you can raise fifty million dollars for your new startup, you've got years of runway to go to hire people to expand. If you can't raise any money, you're very quickly going to run out of money and you know have to declare bankruptcy. And so you may not think of yourself as a fundraiser or someone in investor relations, but you know your ability to fundraise is going to be a key determinant of whether your venture is successful or whether your startup fund is successful. Um, or I think increasingly at um, uh, not for everybody, but for many of the senior professionals or even mid-level professionals at private equity firms, you have to be able to articulate what you're doing and aid in the overall you know, fundraising process. So it may not be the field for you. I'm not advocating it certainly for everybody, but to dismiss it is, is, is the wrong way to go about it because it, it's going to be relevant in your career at some point, I think. You know, if you're in the any part of you know investing in companies, raising capital for companies, investing in funds, raising capital for funds.
0: Yeah, I would I would actually go further. I would say that it's even the number one thing because what we see in, in at our university, like 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 in many others, is that we see students coming up with all kinds of ideas for businesses and especially totally. people that are like engineering departments and so on totally. and they are like look how cool my idea is you yep. like why would i invest in that well just look how cool my idea is and so they then right they, they just focus they think that if the idea is really cool it's just like the money will come like there is exactly. no <laughs> there is no next step there's not something in between no um, and i'm
1: i'm you know in my you know uh you know friends from business school or or whatnot friends of friends. And I'm aware of of two ideas that fit exactly the description you just made. Right. Look at this great idea that I've come up with, you know, and then it becomes awkward as the months go on and they aren't able to close on capital commitments and the capital commitments for a company and a fund. They don't look all that different. Right. It's a subscription document. It's a legal document. We didn't talk about that aspect of it, but there are far more similarities there than differences.
0: Yep. And about the the data uh, that you provide to investors, what this big evolution indeed, right? 2008 was a major change where investors suddenly became a lot more hands-on and said, you know, we need a lot more information and the like, to the point where actually there is too much information now to process. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm on an investment committee. If I open the portal of one GP we are in, I'm just drowning on information. And I think I know quite well Uh, the the type of information and I'm just drowning in it. And so there's all these talks about, you know, making it, you know, comparable from one GP to the other so that everybody can just like put it all in what database and so on. There are some people working on that. Do you have any comments about this area? Because it seems that, well, that's great. You're giving a lot of information, but if I cannot process it, it is as if you don't give me any, because I just cannot read it.
1: Yeah. I think that's where good limited partners come in to the discussion. You know, a, a very good limited partner will be able to look at that data even or, or and it's not just data. It's, it's documents and, and PPMs and subscription documents and track records and presentations and portfolio company slides and very quickly sift through that and determine, you know, what are my key questions and what information are they not giving me? Right. Um, and, and then you can have a very focused discussion around that. But that's a hard stage to get to. And you're right that there has been an element of like, we're not sure what information you're looking for. So here's all of it. So, but but managers are providing a lot of information and it's up to kind of savvy investors to read through it. And actually- Yeah, but it's it, it, it
0: difficult. But we, it, 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 is difficult. Be, it is difficult. It is difficult. There could be the industry associations could create, you know, common templates saying, here is like a hundred columns. Everybody needs to fill them in. Then investors yeah, can but, compare cross-fund managers. Just, yeah, but, then, otherwise, you just cannot do anything with all of this.
1: It is challenging. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think just a lot of the metrics don't line up, right? So an, an energy private equity firm that's buying acreage in the Permian Basin, and you're asking them to compare their, you know, the metrics that are important to them to a fast-growing software company in, in Eastern Europe, that a lot of the metrics don't even line up, right? Both companies mm-hmm. would have no EBITDA but could be very promising
0: yeah.
1: investments. And so it's going to be, I, I, there is a move and, and we, we provide a lot of information and we work on those templates, but um, there's just a lot of different kinds of managers out there too.
0: Yeah. But at least some, some could be comparable, like an LPA could be boiled down to like 50 sales and then everybody feels the 50 sales or things like that. All yeah. of this could, could, could really help. Same with reporting of fees, right? You, you do have some minimum, Oh, yeah, that's and that's a
1: good that's a good example of where the industry has come a long way, right? Disclosure and simplification and removing certain types of fees.
0: Yeah, but it seems to be mainly the ILPA pushing and it does look like a number of GPs don't really want to adopt the ILPA template for fee reporting, for example, or or you don't you don't see it that way.
1: I I don't have a huge I mean I, I know what the ILPA template is, but I don't by and large, I've seen managers adopt it, but I've, to be fair, worked for larger managers that have a lot of resources. I could certainly see a small um, manager say, I-, I simply don't have the resources to-, to comply with ILPA, right? I've got 15 people that work for me. We make two or three portfolio company investments a year in a particular sector. You know, I, I just don't, I can't fill this template out.
0: And 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 so you say that the larger private equity firms are uh, adopting ILPA templates for like fee reporting and the like? I, I believe so, yes. Okay, and, and the last question maybe is around uh, the reputation generally of private equity. Is that something that you have to deal with? Like when you have portfolio companies that may be firing people or people who are concerned about you know ESG, generally speaking, like impact on stakeholders, is that a big part of your job to look at all these stakeholders so you report about it? And so can you comment about that aspect of the job? So I,
1: I think there's two elements to that. So there's, there's the reputation of the private equity industry. It's hard to paint with one brush, right? So, you know, when I was hanging around the BBCA meetings in call it the 2010 to 2015 period, I mean, two of the leading people were John Moulton and Guy Hans and their type of private equity versus what, you know, some of these international firms are doing, whether it's, it's Hellman and Friedman or Blackstone or Advent. They're just really not comparable uh, and so to, to paint that whole industry with one brush you know I, I think is is hard um, certainly there have been some managers that have have misbehaved but I think m- most managers are, are trying you know to to do a good job for their limited partners who are their key stakeholders um, so I, I the industry has lots of characters to it and lots of different parts I think it's tough to paint with one with one brush what I would say is you know, there's continues to be a massive need for private capital and private companies, and that's the that's the um, uh, that's the momentum the industry has, right? I mean, let's look at the largest sector of the global economy today: software. Ninety nine percent of all software companies are private. So, where is the money going to come to fund those companies? It has to come from private sources, and it could be directly from pension plans, but but again, they're looking for partners, and so it's going to come from from private markets. ESG is something uh, slightly different that that is, you know, massively exploded, uh, for lack of a better word, over the last twenty-four months, um, and it just continues to to snowball, and is something that's really interesting. And managers are are working on and and trying to do their best and know that it's important to um, to limited partners. Uh, it's a big again. It's it's hard to paint with one brush, right? There's, you know, for example, I, I know. You know, one set of limited partners—they're very, um, very focused on labor issues, you know, and and, and union issues, right? Um, Others—it's it's much more environmental. Um, you know, there's a whole there's moves around uh, inclusion and diversity. I mean, all of these issues are important, and it's a really large field. And managers uh, are devoting a ton of time and resources to that, and um, it'll be for the better in the industry. But everyone's. You know, working hard on it from the limited partner and the gp partner there's a lot of conversations going on i think both sides are learning a little bit from each other um and that that movement will just uh continue
0: excellent thank you very much do, do you have any last thing for the this, 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 this students to to have to know
1: <laughs> I, I have to know i mean there's, there's tons of um of interesting classes at your business school um, I think all of them, you know, were a real interest to me. Whether it was entrepreneurial finance, you know, private equity, venture capital, they have a lot of similarities as it relates to how you raise capital, the importance of raising capital, you know, some of the do's and don'ts, and you know, as you hit on, I don't want to say it's the number one most important thing, but it is a major factor in the success that you're going to have as a company or as a private market investor
0: okay fantastic so tate thank you so much for for having done this uh i'm sure everybody has learned a lot this was investor relations laid bare don't forget to subscribe and to rate it if you liked it congratulations on your acquisition of one more piece of knowledge ciao ciao.